Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given throughout the area. Today's show features Father John Tregilio and his talk, Confirmation, recorded at the Gift of Faith Conference in June 2010. And now, Father John Tregilio. He says, you know any priests? And I said, Oh, Frank, you got to go to your pastor and you got to get a note saying, but you know what? I told him a year before my confirmation, okay? I gave him enough time and he was so honored by my request that he literally went back to church. He went back to going every Sunday and became a, a, a re-practicing Catholic, a revert. And had I not asked him, I don't know if, if, if that would have happened. So that's always, I tell people that's a good Possibility with somebody you know has the potential, okay, uh, to bring them back in. Or someone who's been asked to be a godparent for, for baptism, you know, think about that too. Say, give them enough chance. Don't, don't ask them a week before, okay, because I get that as a pastor sometimes. Father, uh, I'm asked to be a sponsor. Oh, when is, when, when's the baptism or confirmation? Next week. Oh, next week. Do you go here? Oh, yeah, Father, I go here, yeah. Once in a while. Christmas, you know, Easter, when I can. And I always say to them, look, I need to see you on a more regular basis, and then I'll sign that piece of paper. But I need to see you more than just, you know, like you're checking in because you want a, a slip of paper. So I always tell parents and young people getting confirmed, you know, ask these people a year ahead of time. You know the date they give it to you. The diocese cranks out those dates, all right? So far in advance that, you know, we, we, we know them because they're put in, in stone in the calendar until it's changed again. <laughs> but one of the things I think we need to, to, to look at confirmation, too, is that it is a distinct sacrament, but like the books of Scripture, they don't, they don't exist by themselves. They exist in context. All right? St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that you have to be baptized before you can be confirmed, all right? Not only because it's chronologically the way we do it, but confirmation would have no effect on an unbaptized person. Just like holy orders, if, if, if someone would try to be ordained who was not baptized, they would not be ordained. It would be an invalid ordination. You need baptism in order to receive the sacrament of matrimony, okay? The bishop can give you a dispensation to enter into a, a marital relationship, but for the sacrament of matrimony, you need baptism. So baptism is the gateway to the other sacraments, and confirmation builds upon that, is distinct from it, but it's also connected to it. I mean, that's why some people have problems with confirmation. They don't see the connection with baptism. But guess what? They ask the same questions. Do you reject Satan and all his works and all his promises? Now, one of the things I like to do at baptism, and I noticed a couple of times some of the bishops do this now, when they ask that question, they tell the young men and women, or I tell the, the family at the, at the baptism, I'm going to ask you this question, but I want you to answer it honestly. And I don't want to see no lips moving and nothing coming out of your mouths. All right? You're going to say today you reject Satan. And if you're not going to reject Satan, get the hell out of here now. I don't want you in the house of God if you're not going to reject Satan. You've got no business being in a church. And their eyes bug out. I got their attention, okay? 
So then I say, do you reject Satan? And there's always one or two people back there. You know, they'll keep their mouth shut or they'll just move the lips. No, let's do this again. And we're going to do it again until we get it right. Because this baby or this young person, they deserve nothing but the best. And I've seen a bishop say to the crowd of kids, I can't hear you. All right? So let's do this again. Do you reject Satan? I do. And all his works. And all his empty promises. And then the creed. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I do. These are more than just things we do. It's not just a ceremony. It's a sacrament. And in preparing for it, we must affirm what we were given at baptism, the faith. When we were a baby, someone else, our parents, our godparents, said, I do for us. Now, we're saying, I do. And then, the bishop, by his imposition of hands, one of the most beautiful gestures in the New Testament, the same gesture that's used at holy orders. When a man's ordained a deacon, a priest, or bishop, there's the imposition of hands. What, is that, what does that symbolize? The calling down of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit come upon this person. But was the Holy Spirit not in that person before? Well, what happened at baptism? We just heard Tim tell us, when you get baptized, don't they say, or they're supposed to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, there was a case somewhere where some wacky priest was being politically correct, and he changed the words of baptism. And so he, got, he was baptizing people. I baptize you in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier. Because he didn't want to offend. He people think that he was, you know, uh, had some gender preference. Well, he did this for a couple of years. Um, he was then Cardinal Ratzinger, now Pope Benedict, sent him a nice little note. Dear Father, you must go back and re-baptize every single person that you use this invalid formula upon and notify them that you had, you had made this mistake. And those you cannot find, you must send a note to their church about, and must make a record that this was done improperly. That's how serious this was. It was an invalid baptism. You must say the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is part of the equation at baptism. Now a confirmation, does that mean he's the only one? No. Because you can't separate the persons of the Trinity. It's just that he has sort of preeminence at confirmation. Just like at Pentecost, it wasn't like the Father and the Son were up in heaven waving down to the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's your turn. You go down there. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, I was down there for 33 years. You can go down there now. <laughs> but wherever one person is, the other two persons are there all as well. It's just that in our human minds, by what we call appropriation, we have to assign different works of the Trinity. And so to help us keep our marbles, we, we think of the Holy Spirit being the predominant person at Pentecost. Just like on Good Friday, it is God the Son, but God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were always there. The Trinity was never separated. All that was separated on Good Friday was Jesus' soul was separated from his body. Okay, That's death. But the Trinity was never, ever, ever divided. So confirmation, the Holy Spirit, but also God the Father and God the Son. But the Holy Spirit is the one who sort of stands in the limelight because the Holy Spirit is going to give them those gifts. Now at Pentecost, we know how the apostles were. They were a little 
timid. You know, look at the, the kids who get confirmed these days. They're, they're a little shy. They're a little embarrassed about their faith at times. But the purpose of confirmation is now to make them strong in the faith. So that they go out in that world, it's going to contradict their faith, contradict their values, their principles. Teach them things that we did not teach them in church or in uh, religion class. Things that their mom and dad never told them were right things to do. The world is going to attack them with these ideas. So they need to be prepared. They need the gift of wisdom and understanding. They need piety. You know, piety is as dirty a word now as temperance. You know, that nice uh, cardinal virtue. I was given a talk on the, the virtues one day, and people said, temperance? I said, temperance, you know. They said, isn't that a bunch of old ladies during Prohibition ringing a bell about the, the evils of sin and gin? And I said, no. I said, that's the women's temperance movement, okay? But temperance, having this idea of moderation, knowing when to say when, okay? In legitimate pleasures. With something today, we definitely, uh, you can see the definite need for confirmation because having that gift of balance, of knowing when to shut the computer off, of knowing when to say, I've had enough recreation, relaxation, I need to get to work. I, I've worked too much now, I need to take a rest. That's all temperance, moderation. And the Holy Spirit gives you that happy balance. The Holy Spirit gives you those gifts that enable you to see clearly what is your job as a Christian. Your job as a Christian is basically to get to heaven. But you don't do it alone. It's not just you on a private mission, okay? You're not set out there like some kind of sniper, okay? You're all alone now, and you get yourself to heaven and we'll be happy, all right? You're on this team, okay? You're part of this community that's also on this journey, this pilgrimage of faith. And even if we use the analogy of a soldier of Christ, you know, soldiers need other soldiers to back you up, to cover you, all right? Someone goes in front of you, someone goes behind you, someone's on the side of you. You cover each other, you work as a team. And as Christians, that is our goal, is to get ourselves to heaven by God's grace. But we help each other. Don't, you know, they always say that wonderful phrase, you know, Marines don't leave their their, uh, wounded behind, okay? Christians don't leave their wounded behind either. If someone's wounded in sin, we can't just say, oh, that's the casualty, leave him, let him go. But someone who's been confirmed now has to show concern and interest for their fellow Christians. But one of the ways we were doing that was having some of these um, projects the kids were doing, okay? Their service works. And it had a nice intention, but unfortunately, it sort of deteriorated into some sort of, you know, um, bureaucratic uh, mechanism. So that's how you got cheap labor to work at your spaghetti dinner, okay? Kids would show up. Okay, I'm here, Father. Oh, you're an eighth grader. Yeah, I'm getting confirmed. Okay, that's why you're washing dishes, huh? Yep. Or they go to the, the soup kitchen. They go to the nursing home. And then they have their little ticket that you'd have to stamp that they went there, Okay. Well, fortunately, you know, a lot of the bishops wised up and, and said to us, look, it's good for you to suggest these things, but canonically and theologically you can't demand that they do them because they're not earning their way to confirmation. Okay, you don't crank up enough points and you say, do I have enough to get confirmed? Okay, 
you should want to do these things because this is a sign of your faith. Not because I've got to jump through these hoops to get confirmed. So visiting the poor, visiting the sick, these corporal and spiritual works of mercy are not a litmus test to your worthiness for confirmation. They should be the other way around, that they flow from it. Even in preparation for your confirmation, your baptismal grace should motivate you to have this love of God and love of neighbor. And that's what we should be teaching our young people. That's why if you do do a service project, you do it for the right reason, with the right intent. But even if you don't accomplish one of these things, it's much more important to be disposed to the workings of the Holy Spirit. Now look at what the apostles were able to achieve. Now on Pentecost Sunday, they went out there, they spoke different languages, you know, they were able to drink deadly poisons. That's not going to happen to Junior, okay? Uh, little Johnny and Susie are not going to be able to drink deadly poisons, and unless they got a Rosetta Stone or Berlitz course, they're not going to be speaking different languages. But... We'll return to Living Bread Radio Presents after a short break. The mission of Living Bread Radio, AM 1060, is to faithfully broadcast the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know someone who can benefit from listening to Living Bread Radio? Encourage a friend, relative, neighbor, or coworker to tune in to AM 1060. With the help of the Holy Spirit, our programming can change lives. AM 1060 WILB, Living Bread Radio, Catholic Radio, the truth for Northeast Ohio. And now the conclusion of today's production of Living Bread Radio presents. You know, we could get caught up in, in, the, in the external form there of what was happening at Pentecost. Yeah, those things happened. But that was icing on the cake. That was God just sort of adding a little frills to the thing. The real power of of Pentecost was that it was the birthday of the church. Peter and the apostles went out, and then the church began to spread. It began to multiply. Thousands were converted that day. New souls were won for Christ. The Holy Spirit used Peter, James, and John. And the Holy Spirit's going to use everyone who's been confirmed to do the same thing. Now, as we make the distinction between the call of, 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 the, of baptism, that there's the um, common priesthood of all the baptized, and then there's the ministerial priesthood of those who are ordained, every single one of us by baptism, okay, have been challenged to be someone who is going to spread the faith. It's not just something that we relegate to the priests and the religious, okay, that's our full-time job, yeah, it's a very visible way. We, got a, we have a nice uniform. We have, uh, we have a place, uh, a nice uh, structure that helps us. But what about moms and dads, husbands and wives, single people, the laity? As a lay Christian, you are still empowered by the Holy Spirit to be an evangelist. Now, that doesn't mean you have to bring your catechism and your Bible to work but you bring your faith to work. One of the great insights that Monsignor Escrivá had, 30 years before it was written at the Second Vatican Council on the Universal Call to Holiness, Monsignor Escrivá, who's the founder of Opus Dei, said everybody is called to be a saint. Well, he wasn't the first one that coined that phrase. 
but he was the first one to get a lot of people to actually wake up and, and realize it. You are called to be a saint in the exact place God put you. So that means you are to sanctify whatever you're doing. Whether you're in the home or in the office, if you're working or retired, married or single, you are to sanctify everything you do. And confirmation helps you do that because it gives you that focus. It gives you all those beautiful gifts and fruits that enable you to fine-tune what you're doing. Now again, it's not that you have to be overtly religious, but when you're in the classroom as a student or as a teacher, when you're at the workplace as the boss or as the, the employee, you have to look at things through the eyes of faith. And is what I'm doing morally right? Why do we get in such a problem with not just politicians, but with bankers and people on Wall Street because they put their faith back home. They left it on the shelf and dusted it off on Sunday and then they went to work. Uh, It has nothing to do with my business life. Yes, it does. You bring your religious values with you. You're not shoving it down anyone's throat when you're following the natural moral law. But would you let that guide you and say to your boss, I can't do that, that's wrong. That violates my moral principles. Well, we didn't hire you for your moral principles. Well, then I don't work here anymore. You hire the whole person. Now that's, again, not shoving your morality down anyone's throat, but you speaking up for what's right. We had a whole Nuremberg trial after the World War, and Nazis were put on the witness stand, and there were avowed atheists who said, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Ten Commandments. And they said, it doesn't matter. You're a human being. You know intrinsically by the natural law that it is immoral, wrong, and forbidden to kill innocent people. Now, as a Christian, we know that by faith. We have the revealed word of God that tells us that. We have the teachings of the magisterium. But a pagan knows that. A pagan knows that there is a modicum of morality. So all those guys who were on the witness stand were held accountable. Now, what happened? Was that just something we did because it was the end of World War II? That same moral law that St. Paul says is written in the hearts of all men is still valid today as it was in 1949, as it was at the time of Aristotle, Plato, as it is today. So if someone says, we want you to go and terminate that pregnancy, no, I can't. That'd be an abortion. That'd be wrong. Hey, wait a minute. We're not a Catholic institution here. Yeah, but you cannot... uh, ask me to do something wrong. You cannot tell me to do something that's immoral. In the financial realm, to say, we want you to do this deal. But it's, it's unethical. This is wrong. It's, it's, it's uh, dece- deceptive. Well, that's how we do business. That's not how you do business. See, confirmation is meant to give you that grace, that courage to be able to say, no, I will not do this. Or to be able to stand up and say, something's got to be done. And it, it isn't just in the more obvious areas like abortion and euthanasia. But like I said, look at all the financial crisis that we've seen. Too many people sat by and said nothing. There were a few rascals who were very greedy. And they did very many immoral things. But there were a lot of people on the sidelines who saw things, heard things, 
and said and did nothing. Financial people, political people, customers. As long as those little residuals, those, uh, you know, were coming in from the stock market, nobody was asking where it came from. You have a moral duty to find out where your profits are coming from. If you have investments, you have a moral duty to find out. And, and, and what am I investing? Even if you're only making a dollar a month profit on it, is it gained immorally? You, are you investing in a company that, that sells uh, contraceptives or gives them away free to third world countries? Because that's our great gift as Americans around the world. That's an immoral thing. And you have to say, no, I, I divest myself from those immoral investments. You can't just sit back and say to, to the Lord on Judgment Day, well, I really wasn't, I didn't own controlling stock in it, okay? I was just one of many, many, many stockholders. One of many, you still have responsibility. Just like you have responsibility of voting. You can't say, I'm not going to vote. I don't like all the candidates. Then write someone in who knows a moral person. But to sit back and do nothing is just as bad as to vote the wrong way. We have an obligation when we have the opportunity to speak and say what we believe is true, to say no to evil, to say yes to good. That's why our young people today are a lot confused because we adults are not doing a good enough job. Okay? We in the clergy have already made a mess of things over the years where we stepped back and said, well, we want to preach this. This isn't popular. and We don't want to chase people away because then the collections will go down. So we sort of softened the, the sermons and made them very nice. Everybody goes home with a nice little warm fuzzy and, you know. But did Jesus give out fuzzies? No. All right? He was always compassionate, but he also spoke the truth. He told the woman caught in adultery, I've come not to condemn you, but go and sin no more. He didn't say, well, you go back to your lifestyle. You know, you couldn't help it with your genetic disposition or you were born on the wrong side of the tracks. He said, go and sin no more. He challenged them. He said to the scribes and Pharisees, stop what you're doing. You're hypocrites. Oh, isn't that politically incorrect to call someone a hypocrite? Yes, it is. Thank God. All right? <laughs> but he didn't do it to be mean. He did it because he loved them. And he wanted them to abandon their ways, their evil ways. So confirmation is there for a purpose, all right, to be sort of the, the, the um, strengthening, just like if you imagine, I give like a nice, it's not a perfect analogy, but I, I used to use this a lot in our CIA class. If you think of baptism as being like your uh, first time you take your kid to be inoculated against all these childhood diseases, okay? They get all those nice little shots and that, uh, vaccines and whatnot. Then later on in life, they need what? Booster shots, okay? They need a little extra maybe vitamin shot or pills as an auxiliary to help them, but it builds upon what was given to them. If they never got those initial vaccinations, those boosters are going to be useless, right? If little Johnny or Susie wasn't baptized, confirmation is not going to be any good, okay? One of the nice things about the sacraments, they work ex opere operato, that you don't have to always be in the proper disposition for them to work, but you also want them to work at their fullest capacity. So that's why it's good to be in the state of grace when one's receiving confirmation, when one's getting married, when one's getting ordained. But even if you weren't, God forbid, the sacrament would still be valid. But why cheat yourself, okay? It's like choosing to be on life support when you could be fully alive, walking around, you know, 
able to eat and drink as you please or say, no, no, doc, put me in the gurney. I want that drip, okay? Why? You're a healthy person. Yeah, but I gotta, that means I got to get up and make a sandwich. This way, just juice me up with the, with the saline solution. Anybody would come to you with that, you'd say, he's pazzo in Italian, okay? But spiritually, there are a lot of people who are willing to go by the bare minimum. They're on spiritual life support, the bare minimum. I go to church, I say my prayers, I'm done. That's the minimum. Daily prayer, going to church every week, going, making a, a nice uh, retreat once a year, going to confession regularly, is the minimum. And confirmation is there to help us open our eyes and see what else is available. A spiritual life, reading spiritual material, the great writings of the saints. And today we got people like Father Benedict Rochelle and Father Rutler. We have wonderful apologetics from Catholic Answers. We got things on EWTN where people have resources. In the Middle Ages, you were stuck if, if, what you could able, if you could find the scroll and read it. Because a lot of people were illiterate. And there weren't that many manuscripts available. So you depended on people to tell you verbally. But today with the internet, all right, if people spend as much time praying as they do tweeting, my God, all of heaven, they'd have to put a no vacancy sign, okay? Because they'd all be in heaven. It amazes me how much time is spent texting and tweeting and twerting and uh, Facebooking. Now, there's nothing wrong with technology. St. Thomas Aquinas, I'm sure, would have an iPad, as I have today. <laughs> I have the Summa in here, by, by the way. And my breviary. So I don't have to carry that four-volume set anymore. I got it online. But you have to use it within a proper context. And that's what we need to teach our young people. But I think, too, confirmation can give them that power. But just like anything, it has to be guided. And that's where the person has to deliberately, intentionally say, I want the Holy Spirit to come into me, and I want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. So these fruits and gifts aren't just floating around in me like free radicals, okay? But that they're there for a purpose. Why do I need uh, prudence? Why do I need wisdom? Why do I need courage? So that I can be a better Christian. So I can do God's will and become holy. So I can spend eternity with God in heaven. And I want to bring as many as my loved ones with me as I can. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.